Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Are we good on the stream? We're live, everything? Well, I broke the cardinal rule of electronics. Don't update something the day you're going to use it. And I messed up our OBS program, I think. So to everybody online, sorry, you should be seeing stuff, but it's not going to change or anything. Um, so it's my fault. But I blame Mandy, so. But, uh, so, yeah, I'll try. I don't you blame Mandy. Your, you I'm have sorry. your back to me, just so you know. But, uh, hope you're all doing well. It's good to be with you. If uh, you want, we'll stand, we'll pray. Praise God. God, we love you. We're here for you this morning. We thank you for this beautiful sun and this uh, building you've given us to come together and, and lift you up in praise and to hear your word, God. And so I pray that it's uh, a great morning for you and your kingdom. Um, the enemy's always fighting us through electronics and all that, but uh, you are more powerful and overcome, and we will overcome with you. So we... Uh, in the, in the face of little glitches and problems that don't go our way and things trying to distract us from you and take away from you, God, we just, um, we don't let them take hold. Uh, we just focus on you and praise you in every moment, good and bad. So I just pray for this morning as we lift these songs up to you that we grow closer to you. As we hear your word, that we grow closer to you. So we pray for Leonard as he preaches and for us as we hear you. Pray for the youth and all the young lives that are growing and being affected here as well. And just thank you for all the work that's getting put into attending to them. And you know, we just give you this morning, God. We love you and we praise you and we're here for you. Yeah. 
Now? Yes. I'm on now. Okay, good. All right. Well, it's a beautiful day out today and a lovely day to be in the house of the Lord as well. And I hope everybody, um, as we gather, is able to um, receive something from the Lord. I know that every time I gather, I always feel, I don't know, my spirit always feels elevated when I walk out of this place. And I think it's because God shows up alongside uh, God's people who uh, have God showing up through them and through you through our volunteers, through everybody that is offering themselves to the Lord. Something special happens in this space, and um, you just can't deny that. So I'm glad you're able to join us, and you guys online. Uh, hopefully, as you meet with us in spirit, God will meet you where you're at as well. 
but as we gather, just a couple things I want to mention. Um, we are going to be uh, kicking off a, um, a volunteer program for our shut-ins. We're going to be uh, delivering some, uh, some, some food, uh, some, uh, some goods to our shut-ins, and there's a sign-up sheet in the studio, uh, and that's going to be happening uh, next week. So if you want to help out with them, uh, please just uh, step in there and take a look. And if you've got any questions, uh, see myself, um, uh, Brittany, Rachel, just somebody that looks like they might know what they're doing around here. Um, we're happy to help out. Um, uh, with that said, uh, it has been pretty busy around here. and We're kind of getting a little bit of a breather, but we do have a Thanksgiving dinner coming up uh, community-wide that we're getting ready to um, uh, just ramp up for. Uh, so please be thinking about that and uh, the road ahead and how we can connect with our community. Um, but uh, taking a little bit of a, of a break, um, I don't know about you, but you, you feel like when uh, the school semester begins, it's just a sprint towards Christmas Eve. And that's sort of where we're at. But um, I love it. And I, I love what God's been doing in that. So... Um, Let's just find out if there's any prayer concerns or anything like that, any praises. I know Patty Pym mentioned that her daughter, granddaughter, Rayanne, was in a, a car accident, and uh, everything is good. She's okay. So praise the Lord for that. Yeah. She demolished her car. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like there's a grandma sermon in there brewing. So watch out, okay? Anything else? I know, uh, you know, Twyla, Twyla France had her um, funeral service for uh, her son, uh, Damon, yesterday. So please keep Twyla lifted up. Uh, it's, uh, it's one of those things that no matter how positive you are, and she's a very positive person, it is clearly a shock to uh, your system. And uh, she's very appreciative of the fact that you guys have been lifting her up and just coming alongside her in that. Um, anything you have on your hearts today that we can, we can bring before the Lord? Well, we'll start back with, with uh, Pat. Yes, I have a phrase. Okay. I have my possessions. I need to know how to get a new machine on the prayer list because we hadn't been out of bed in ages. Right. Great. Okay. So um, praise the Lord for that, for just being with Jaylene and helping her to get her strength back and get back into, into basically life again. Kendall? Friends of my granddaughter, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. two-year-old, her name's Winnie, um, has leukemia, but they now found it in her bone marrow. So things aren't looking too good, so if we can just continue to lift that family up. Okay. Uh, Kendall has some friends. I have a granddaughter. Uh, her name's Winnie. Uh, she has leukemia, and um, they're just asking for prayers. Hopefully, God can do a miracle here and uh, bring health back to this young life. Okay. 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 Absolutely. So pray for Brittany Smith and a high-risk pregnancy. Anyone else? 
All right, let's just go ahead and bow and take all of these before the Lord. Our Lord God, we are so appreciative of all the facets of your character, of your personality, of your presence that uh, are manifest in Scripture. And as we've just sung about how you are a lion and a lamb all bundled up into one and uh, every facet of those those images um, you embody in the, in, in the best way possible under the best circumstances. And so when we lift up these that we are concerned about, Father, we know that you're there to fight for the health and the healing and uh, everything that is according to your purpose and your design for our lives. Lord, we, we know that you are the champion that we turn to for all those needs that we have, whether they're health or whether they're personal or relational. We are so grateful that you present yourself in that bold way. We also see that image of the lamb who has um, uh, such a, a pastoral uh, um, effect on, on our psyches where we imagine you as the good shepherd, but also as the sacrificial lamb who went to that degree to bring about not only healing and repair and restoration, but redemption. And everything in between, Father, we trust you as the source for all of our needs in life. We gather for worship because we trust those realities more than we trust what we see. And we thank you, Father, for just reinforcing that and giving us a sense that you are able. And so in all the lives that we've mentioned, whether it is Winnie or whether it is Jaylene or uh, Brittany, as she's going through a very risky moment with an unborn child, we just ask, Father, that in each of those cases, uh, you would be present in a way that brings healing, that uh, brings a miracle, that brings uh, life and health to a child about to be born into this world. And Lord, I know there are weighing upon our hearts things that we haven't mentioned, things that maybe we are afraid to mention, and things that um, are just we're just in our head about. And I pray, Father, that whatever those things are, that you would be uh, that source of strength and healing and help. And if necessary, Lord, you would direct people into our lives that we could unburden some of that with. So help us to be the church for one another as we become more trustworthy with the things that we have been given so that we can be trusted under those conditions where people want to reach out but don't know if, uh, if we're the ones. And so, Father, may your spirit enable us. And Holy Spirit, we pray today as we gather that you would fill us, fill our hearts and our minds with your presence. And as um, I offer words that uh, are derived from uh, your holy word, Lord, I pray that they would speak into each of our lives in the way that is so mysterious and unique, but yet is so personal to each of us in this room. So may uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart uh, be, be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, as I offer this. And Lord, uh, I pray for us as a church as we move into the future that you help us to be a fruit-bearing body, that uh, our posture is, uh, is oriented towards the work that you're doing inside of us so that outside of this building, the work that we are called to do there, we can do it most effectively. Uh, so I just pray that you would be with each of us as members of your body in the work and process that is happening in our lives, that you would bless that work, that you would make us attentive and cooperative and able to uh, be the people that you need us to be. And for those around us who are grieving, whether it is Twyla or whether it is a family of Gail Hill, 
We ask, Lord, that you would just be with them uh, and help them, Lord, through this journey of grief and uh, a journey of hope that there will be sweet reunion one day. And we thank you, Father. And Lord, as we attune our hearts and our minds to you, help us to pray together our Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles with you or your phones or your app or whatever it is that you use to access uh, the word of God, uh, feel free to do that in Daniel chapter 5. Uh, because we're going to be looking at that whole chapter, but not reading the whole chapter. Chapter, um, And as we do that, uh, we're going to talk about a few things that um, really, uh, I think, uh, bookend what's been happening in Daniel's life as he's been in Babylon. And bookend a lot of other things that are going to come up here in a minute. Uh, and as we do that, um, I, I want us to just consider something, and that is there's a lot of layers to the book of Daniel. And the things that we've read, verses or chapters one through five, uh, and hopefully you've been tracking along uh, in these devotionals we've been putting together, uh, because this is really, we hope anyway, uh, the, a way that God can take what we're learning on Sunday and help it to just be baked into our own beings on Monday through Friday, and then taking a break on Saturday and then resuming it again. And hopefully that pattern is helping you to just kind of get in, in tune with what God is doing in this moment, post-pandemic. And the things that are happening in the book of Daniel really resonate with the things that are happening uh, in the world around us. I also wanted to mention while I'm looking at Diane, uh, the Gale Hills uh, Memorial Service is at uh, noon today here uh, in the sanctuary. So please, uh, if, if you want to attend that, uh, uh, feel welcome to do that. Um, and, and so I'm going to shift back to what we're talking about uh, regarding uh, Daniel. But, um, I, and so I, it's been very fascinating for me to go through this. And I've seen uh, so many things pop up that have helped me just to be a leader in this moment. And one of the interesting things is how God has been at work in the unseen realm. And if you've been going through the giant studies with us, you know we've been doing a deep dive into that part of it. But things have cropped up in the story that talk about what, what is happening in the reality of the things that we don't see. And, you know, we touch on that every time we pray. We are asking a deity, a being, that is our God, the God Most High, as we read about him in Daniel, or Yahweh. We ask him to help us with the challenges of life, to help us with our relational needs, help us with just everything that we trust him to be at work in. And as that happens, sometimes it's sort of a mystery to consider, well, what, what exactly is going on there? And, um, and so if you know me, you know I, I pray a lot. I pray for you guys when you ask. I get texts all the time, and, and as soon as I get them, I'm usually lifting that up in prayer. Uh, and I don't do anything really without asking the unseen God, but real God, to be a part of it. And clearly he shows up uh, time and time again faithfully. And sometimes you don't even know where to take that. The other day, I don't know how many of you have the same view I have, that there is a food pyramid, but underneath the food pyramid 
is one more layer. It is the foundational layer. You know what layer that is? Coffee. I mean, I kid you not. If I don't address that first when I get out of bed, it's just the rest of it just doesn't go well. Now, don't get me wrong. The Lord's in there too. But coffee is one of those things that... Um, it, it, it definitely is the primary food group to kick the day off. And so I had a little issue with coffee the other day. I went to go make some, and my Curie coffee maker, which has been faithful for seeming like forever, said, mm-mm, not doing it. So I did the thing that, you, you know, you normally do. You shake it, and you say, wake up, because I'm not. And it looks at you like, mm-mm, not doing it. So I'm not a violent person. But I will tell you, I smacked it a few times. And uh, it said, no, Leonard, it, it's no, no. Unplugged it, plugged it back in, closed it, opened it, pressed buttons, did everything imaginable. And something prompted me to pray. And so I just, I'm like, okay, I'm going to pray for my coffee. I'm that desperate. So I said, Lord, please help this thing to work so I can get my coffee. Press the button, and there it is. And I'm like, holy cow. Uh, but then, you know, but then I'm thinking, okay, well, is this something, you know, ooh, or what? And it's like the Lord said, no, your coffee maker needs to be scaled. That's the problem. You need to descale it. It's not going to work. You got your coffee. That's a bonus. But it needs some ground-level attention. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then. My wife's like, well, let's price coffee makers and stuff. Have you guys priced coffee makers? Holy cow. Uh, it's not like your Mr. Coffee, you know, three copper. It's, um, it's, it's basically a car payment. Uh, and, and you're looking at it like, man, the times we live in. Yet, I descaled it, and then all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, Leonard, we're good. See you in the morning. And... Um, there, there is something about those layers that you try to figure out, and there's something about human agency and divine intervention and the relationship between the two that I think you have to seriously consider. But for a lot of us, it's such a confusing thing that we don't really understand how to even access that, let alone um, leverage that power that God gives us. And Daniel does a really good job of showing us that the God Most High is available under the most strenuous and most trying of circumstances, oftentimes life and death. And I've loved reading that with you for uh, the five chapters that we've uh, been going through. And in the background of those five chapters, one of the layers is how people looked at the world in Daniel's time. And it's a little bit different than us because we tend to have a very materialistic view of the world where we turn to God only when we have no other options because we think, well, perhaps divine intervention can help out. But in reality, we don't really function. Like when we look at a, a president or we look at a, uh, a kings of past, we don't imagine that somehow there is a spiritual reality that they're deeply tapped into. And that is really in the psyche of people that are thinking about the world that they live in. And, you know, we, we hear about, you know, the Queen of England passing, and we start thinking about the history of that 
and realize there is this uh, notion of the divine right of kings. There's something about the, 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 the connection that rulers have with God and then the responsibility that they have over their people that runs way back, not only in the biblical or Christian tradition, but way back in the traditions of basically every culture leading up to the modern world. So with that said, uh, if I could just have that, that white graphic put up there real quickly, Connor. Um, uh, I don't know how well you guys can see that, but basically when I, when I imagine what the ground level looked like for somebody who lived in Babylon or lived in the Holy Land, uh, they had this image that there were these gods at work in the unseen realm. And for the Jewish people, they were told in, in Deuteronomy 6 that uh, there is only one God for them, and that God is Yahweh. And every day they were supposed to recite the prayer. Uh, Israel, there is, uh, th there is only one God, and that God um, uh, is um, uh, you know, just going on to the whole process of, of that, that God is, is, is to be the God that you wake up and worship every day. So the Jewish people call that the Shema, which they still pray. Um, and as they do that, they recognize there is a deity. And that deity oversees the whole universe. Now, also in the Jewish mind, during the time of Daniel and the, the people that actually went into exile in Babylon 10 years prior to he and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going to Babylon, there was an encounter in the minds of everybody between the gods of the, the gods of the Babylonians and the God of the Hebrews. And the God of the Hebrews was Yahweh in this in this storyline. And the God of the Babylonians was Marduk, otherwise known as Bel. Alright, so you with me so far? So in, in effect in their mind, Marduk went into the temple of the Jewish people and just ransacked everything that was there and hauled it back to Babylon and put it in a storage facility. And it was a declaration that Marduk is a superior god to the gods or the god of Israel. All right? So I know this may be a little bit hard to track with, but it feeds into our storyline in just a minute. And so the, the, the next four chapters leading up to five is... Our God's way of saying, you may have taken that stuff, you may have taken my people, but I have allowed it because I'm trying to teach them something about recognizing that there's only one God for them. And uh, they, fell, they kind of fell off that, 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 that course of action. And so I'm just letting them go be drawn into the reality and world of the God that they have sort of been flirting with. He's kind of gave them over. And so in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, my God, because Nebu means um, it's basically a reference to his God Marduk. And, um, and as he's naming people like uh, Daniel, I'm going to call you Bel, which is another name for Marduk. And basically reassigning names and, 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 and identities to people that are in reference to the gods that they serve. So there's a whole lot of this commingling between what is happening in heaven in their mind and what's happening in, on earth. And the king really is the connecting point between the two. 
And Nebuchadnezzar thinks that he can go in there, haul these people off along with the, all of the treasures of the temple and make a declaration that my God is better than your God. And a lot of the Jewish people were like, we just don't know anymore. And they weren't looking at it in a secular way. They were saying our God is not doing it. And some people like Daniel said, yeah, but we know why he's not doing it. And he's about to show up. He's going to show up in Marduk's territory, and he's going to make a demonstration out of the whole thing. So I read the story about Nebuchadnezzar and his dream in chapter, uh, chapter uh, 1 and 2. And, and as that dream is unfolding, there's nobody there who can give an interpretation except for the guy who is connected to the God Most High, which he does. And then Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that, affirms that, celebrates that, but doesn't do much with it. Then we have the image that Nebuchadnezzar creates because he wants to reestablish that his God, as, it, as represented through his rulership, reigns supreme. And again, our God, the most, God Most High, shows up and says, um, yeah, you can throw him into the fiery furnace right there and say you're in control, but guess what? I'm going to show up with him, and I'm going to undo everything that you've just done. And he does, and Nebuchadnezzar has to celebrate that again. And then finally, God shows up to Nebuchadnezzar's bedroom when he's having more dreams, and he says, um, I'm going to put something very disturbing in your mind, and that is uh, as great as you think you are and as powerful as you think your God is, um, it's all going to fall apart. And Nebuchadnezzar, all his people, nobody could interpret it except for that one guy, Daniel, who's connected to the God Most High. Daniel says, you're going to lose your mind and your God's not going to be of much help. But the God who has created the universe is going to restore you and restore all of the things that he's put you in charge of to begin with. Because the fact of the matter is, you may think you're a great ruler, but God's enabled you to take captive his own people for a purpose. He's behind all of this stuff. Nebuchadnezzar gets his mind back, and guess what? He writes a letter to everybody saying, the God most high is the God. He's converted. He's finally come around and recognized that Daniel's God is now his God. I don't know if you captured the significance of all of that, but we're here today because we're, we're trusting that there is a God, right? And that God is in the unseen realm, and he's done a lot of things in the past to prove his credibility, and this is one of many. Yet, we also have a cautionary tale here, because there is a king who is the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar, and um, there's some disturbing things happening just outside his door. And his response isn't to cater to the God Most High, but to have a party with his own gods. And hopefully, all that nonsense about Nebuchadnezzar and the God Most High, well, you know what? I went to church as I was a kid. I heard some of that stuff, but I'm just not that interested in that. And so basically, he just lived his life without any reference to the God Most High, and we're seeing the fruit of it here. So here we go. King Bel, as in Marduk, Shazar, Belshazzar, made a great feast for a thousand of the lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. 
Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the, that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the, out of the temple in Jerusalem uh, be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. If you read Ezra 1, you can see just exactly what, what that was that was taken in this uh, a phenomenal amount of vessels. Because these guys are kind of drinking out of cheapo shot glasses, or maybe they're drinking out of, you know, red Dixie cups. And they're saying, no, we want something special for this. We're actually going to mock that God, and we're going to do it in dedication to our gods. Partly because we want to party like we've never partied before. Partly because we want to, well, we want to cater their favor because something bad has happened and everybody knows it. And as they're having this celebration with God's accoutrements from the temple, um, they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king, his lords, and his wives and his girlfriends drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and wood and stone. And these are, these are basically representations of lesser deities that are in subservient, um, uh, uh, to subservience to Marduk, Marduk who is, in their, in their sort of organizational chart of the gods, the most important one. And immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. I'm going to ask Connor real quickly to insert, if you can, that picture of, of Nebuchadnezzar. Can you jump to that real quick? Yes. And that's exactly, I, that's Rembrandt's depiction of what he imagined that to look like when the hand shows up and is mysteriously writing these Hebrew words on the wall, and he is just beside himself. He's in shock. I mean, this was not supposed to happen. But this is a signal from the God Most High that he is way off track. So let's jump back to that passage that we were looking at. So in verse 6, we pick up, then the king's color changed, probably from whatever hue it would have been in the Mediterranean sun to about as white as snow. And the thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, which is a, well, it's a euphemism for he wet himself in front of all these people. And his knees knocked together. Then the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. Have you heard this before? Uh, this, and, and then the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chair of gold around, chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Why does he say third? Because the fact of the matter is... Um, he is sort of a proxy king in relation to Nabonides, who is his father, who's the actual king. But he's gone off to a hunting safari in, um, in Africa right now. Um, not really, but it's in effect, he's the one left in charge. So he's the second king in command. Hope you're not confused too badly by that. But um, that's why he's saying, I can only make you the third ruler. Um, then all the king's wise men came in. But surprise... They could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. 
Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color <laughs> changed. So how, what kind of color? It must have came back. And then he's like, this is bad. This is really bad. And I'll tell you why he thought it was bad. Because he knew the whole time that there was a reality that he was trying to push away. And that reality was creeping in on him. And that really actually had to do with the God Most High, who he's ignored the whole time. And he has pushed aside, and he has said, I don't believe that garbage. I believe in our God, and whatever happened with Nebuchadnezzar, well, he did lose his mind, didn't he? And there is a sense of, well, cynicism about the God Most High. Because the truth be told, uh, I'm sure growing up for him, he ended up being a kid that was just spoiled rotten. And he probably ended up feeling very entitled and in some ways felt like that um, he could do no wrong. If somebody tried to correct him, he could say, who do you think you're talking to? And so in his own mind, he is his own God. He's insufferable. And he's got a lot of issues because I suspect he had to have a thousand people there because he is an extremely lonely human being. I mean, would you honestly want to live with somebody that thought they were God? Other than, you know, God most high. In the sense that they're a human being like you, but they're acting like they're in charge of everything and they're going to tell you what to do. Well, that's essentially where this guy is at. And it's a problem because it creates for him an air of unreality that he just carries with him into life to where he gets to a place where he thinks the only thing that matters is what he thinks. But the God Most High is creeping in. He's pushing in. He knows who he is. And we're about to find out exactly what that means. But for now, he's realizing something. This is not a situation that I can make go my own way. There are forces at work here that are much larger than myself. And um, we've been trying to cater to the gods that we have worshipped in our tradition as Babylonians. And they've served us well. We've become the empire. And now they're not getting it done. And now some other force is showing up and writing, of all things, Hebrew words that people can't read because imagine reading this and um, there's no vowels, just consonants. Okay? The Hebrew is, Hebrew is written without vowels. There are no vowels. Um, they, they look at it and they say, oh, we know what that means because of the context. They, they, they just read it very easily. But this guy could not put it together, and neither could the people that he had put into power to interpret all of that stuff. And he's like, uh-oh. And then the queen. The queen comes in, and she sees what's happening. She knows that this has been a slowly unfolding train wreck. And now... Cars are about to be scattered all over the place, and there's going to be carnage everywhere. And she's been paying attention to that because she's pretty shrewd. She's understood what's been happening all along, but as a queen, she can only offer her opinion. And so she steps right in. And she said, um, the queen, um, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, which may have defied a lot of protocols. She just marched right in and said, we got to have a talk. And in the days of your father, she said, um, uh, there was a man who offered light and understanding. 
um, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods uh, that were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, that is your grandfather, it's just another way of saying that, the king made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, astrologers, um, because an excellent uh, spirit, knowledge, and understanding to the interpreter of dreams explained the riddles and untied the knots, is what it says literally, to solve problems. And they found this Daniel, in whom the king named Belshazzar, um, to be that person. So let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So notice something here. The protocol was you're supposed to call these exiles by their Babylonian names. And Belshazzar calls him Daniel. He knows who Daniel is. And Daniel's not doing his job anymore because he's 75, 80 years old. He's retired, or he was put on the shelf because he didn't fall in line with what the king um, uh, that we're talking about, Belshazzar, wanted. Daniel is sort of off to the side. He's not in the picture anymore. And so he's called back in because he seems to have the ability to understand the situation, to read it well, and to have connection to a God who could offer whatever interpretation needed to be heard. And so he, you know, he's listening to what the queen says, and he's like, all right, well, let's just do that. And um, the queen is, uh, she, she, she steps aside, and it begins to unfold. And as Daniel is, uh, is now walking into the scene, he offers an interpretation. And in the process, he describes what it was like with King Nebuchadnezzar and the Most High God, kind of does a summary of the stories that I mentioned a minute ago about chapters 1 through 4. And then he goes on to say, and in the end, uh, that king, your grandfather, your father, who you refer to here, that king was humbled enough through the circumstances that God put him through that he finally regained the presence of mind that he needed to hear the word of God and to be able to act on it in a way that connected him to God with a trusting humble and submissive heart and that really is the concern that i have as i read this because we can offer messages about jesus the word of god these stories they're not just stories to entertain or to perhaps create some kind of intrigue about the bible these are stories where god speaks through them through people like me to you because the pattern of his relationship with humanity over time has never changed. And sometimes we're like Nebuchadnezzar. We think that we've kind of got it all together until God shows up one day and says, no, you don't. You've got some priorities that are misaligned. And God realigns them, and then we sort of get it together. But in reality, it all kind of defaults back to us and how we think about life again. And because Jesus, through the, uh, the, the manifestation of his presence there with the three in the fiery furnace, shows himself as the angel of the Lord. He's telling Nebuchadnezzar, this is, this is a bodily manifestation of the God most high. And Nebuchadnezzar sees him then. And now he's accountable 
And as he continues this selfish, self-directed reign, God says, I'm just going to let you lose your mind. And then you're going to take all that stuff that you've experienced and heard, you're going to put the pieces together, and you're going to recognize reality only works a certain way. And that is with God most high over it all and us living in a relationship that is cooperative to his purposes for our lives. And in that space, you find not just, hey, now I'm not going to get punished, but rather, hey, now I've got my marbles back. Now I've got my scruples back. Now I can see life. Now I can actually not fear and be anxious and afraid. Now I can actually know joy and blessing and hope. And when he found all that, he said, this is too much to contain. I now get it. And I need to tell everybody. And as a pastor, I've seen this over and over and over again. A person will be aware of the things of God. They'll be sort of, kind of, you know, have their conscience pricked by the things of God. But they're like, "Mm, I'm not sure. And then something happens. Usually it's life-changing, cataclysmic. It's a deep crisis, generally, but not always. And then all of a sudden, you are now in that place where you get it. And you start to kind of go to work on yourself and say, I'm going to be honest about my life in relation to God. I'm going to be honest about my life in relation to other people, which basically means I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn away from stuff that is built on a shady foundation. I'm going to reconcile with other people. I'm going to show them that I'm not that same human being. And I've seen that over and over and over. But the problem is, We have to get to a place where we finally see it. And many times it means that we have to be broken. And it usually involves the breaking of something that is near and dear to your heart. And you just have got, you have no recourse but to say, God, I need help. Belshazzar is not there. And he doesn't get there. And this is so tragic because here's a guy that basically has everything. He has power. He has access to any person that he ever wants to have sex with. And he has all the money that you could ever imagine and more. And yet he is a miserable, lonely human being. And essentially he has nothing while at the same time he has everything. But he is so hardened in his heart against anything because he's had a lifetime of people reinforcing his selfishness that he's just not even able, honestly, to make sense of what's happening other than he wants to just manipulate it so that it has an outcome that is of of his own end. But he listens to the queen and um, she tells him, this guy Daniel can sort you out. And he's like, that's my worst nightmare, but bring him in. So they bring him in. Daniel gives a spiel. And then he turns his attention on Belshazzar. And this is what we pick up uh, later on in the chapter. And he says, and you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this stuff. You knew all this stuff. You knew all this stuff. But you have lifted up yourself, that is, you've just said, don't want it, against the Lord of heaven. 
and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. You've taken something very sacred that even his father says, I have it, but I'm not touching it. And you've just cavalierly said, hey, we're going we're gonna to have, um, I don't know, some kind of alcoholic contest. Uh, who can drink the most with these, these vessels? Some, I don't know. It's been a long time since I was 18. I don't remember. But it was that kind of thing. And he's being called out for having no appreciation for the sacred things of life that make life work. And as he calls him out, he says, um, you and your partygoers, let's go to the next, next slide, and you have praised the gods, you have used these vessels to praise the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone that are connected to your primary god, Marduk, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is um, your, um, I can't read that word, breath, and whose all your ways you have not honored. Okay, so life and breath and way of life, you've been completely out of touch. So I'm going to tell you what just happened a minute ago. Then from his presence, the hand was sent. And this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed. Meany, meany, tekel, parson. And this is the interpretation of that matter. Meany means God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and have found wanting. Paris. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And then, Nebuchadnezzar, then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple and chain of gold, a new Camaro, a bottle of aqua velva. No, none of that. Just given all that stuff that Daniel said, I don't want that stuff to begin with. But he gave it to him because he's thinking, hey, you know what? If I give the man of God, the stuff, maybe his God now will be obligated to me. That's his thinking. That's what that's all about. You know, in his world, it's very transactional. I give you something, then it's expected that you give me something else. In God's world, it's very transformational. I give you something out of love and generosity, not expecting anything to back. Hopeful that you will, in return, offer that same sentiment in kindness towards me and towards other people. It's a different kind of, I don't even want to say transaction. It's just a different way of relating. But not in Belshazzar's mind. If I can just get him to take the stuff, then his God is obligated, and then we're good. And Daniel said, I'm not taking it. And then he took it. Why do you think he took it? Because he wants to show him your little, your little calculus in your head it's not going to work. I'm going to take it, but the fact of the matter is, I'm going to need it for about six hours because right around that time, it is all over. And it's not going to end well with you. Not because you're going to die, but because in the course of your life, you have heard the things about the Word of God, and you have hardened your heart to a point where you are no longer able to receive it. The writer of Hebrews says, be careful. Uh, 
that you don't harden your heart lest you fall away. And I honestly think that can happen to people. I've done funerals for people that somewhere along the way, they harden themselves against God. And I try to talk to them. I try to pray to them. And they are just like, they are just a fortress against it, walled off. And I hope that and pray that none of you guys, you guys listening, ever get to that space where you're like, yeah, I'm starting to get jaded about the things of the faith. Yeah, I'm starting to get cynical about it. Yeah, I'm starting to kind of wall him off because he's not doing what I want him to do. I hope you never land there. And if God can save Nebuchadnezzar, let's just be honest here, he can save anybody. And the difference between the two kings is Nebuchadnezzar still had the sensitivity to say, I'm open to hearing the truth. Don't want to, but I'm open. If it's presented in a way that's very compelling. And that is the, really the rub in this whole message. Is are you open? Because the story as it ends, Belshazzar, well, the Chaldean king, that's another word for Babylonian, dead. Darius the Mede and his gods, they're coming to take over. End of the chapter of the Babylonian God's rule. Marduk has been dethroned. He's been humiliated, and now he's been dethroned. And the God Most High is saying, you came into my temple, you stole my stuff, you desacralized my stuff, you thumbed your nose at my gestures of trying to show you and reveal to you who I am, you saw it happen in your, in your father's life where he went from somebody who was hard-nosed, who was a tyrant, who actually was very calculating and could be charming, but at the same time, you didn't cross him to somebody whose heart began to beat on pace with the heart of the God Most High. You saw that, and you choose not to, um, not to recognize what it was. There's no hope for you. It's not that God's saying he hardened your heart. You did. And that's why this is so hard because um, it is a perennial threat to all of us. God is going to do his level best to make sure that we get across the finish line. I mean, he bought us with the price of Christ's blood. And we engage with that purchase through consent. He said, yes, I, I believe you are God. I believe you can be a savior to me. I believe, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you've transferred me out of the domain of darkness and into your wonderful domain of your kingdom. I believe that. I trust that. And as we acknowledge that, we have a, a ritual that really is indicative of a new reality that happens. It's called baptism. It doesn't save you. Jesus is the one who saves you. But baptism is a way of signifying to all the world and yourself that a new reality is being created here. And that reality is, I am now a child of God. And like any child, we would do our level best to ensure that they stay within the guardrails of the faith. And we will send people out. We will have get the word out. We'll do everything except one thing. Force you to do something against your will. I believe that. 
Now, there's a lot of mysteries to our salvations. But if there's a warning in the book of Hebrews, a New Testament book, it talks about Jesus, that you can harden your heart. And I think that's something to pay attention to. So God is always working on you and I. There's always challenges. There are always temptations to not trust him, to deny him, to move on. And Daniel is telling us this is the outcome. This guy, it wasn't going well when the party was happening. It wasn't going well before the threat of the Medes and the Persians were just some miles away, just aligning their troops together and getting ready to take over. And it, history says that they actually diverted the, um, the river that flowed through the city. They just turned it off, and then they came through in, in the riverbed and then just came into the city and the city didn't even know what was happening. Well, I just have four questions as I, as I end this for you guys. And, and the first one is this. Because here's what Belshazzar was doing. He was self-medicating. He knew, everybody knew. The Lord's knew, everybody knew. The Persians are coming. And it's bad. And Nabonides is nowhere to be found. And the truth is, I'm not a very good king. I'm not a, I'm not a military person. Everything that I have is just being given to me. I've never really had to learn to do anything. And a lot of times when we meet that impasse, we find ways to numb ourselves. And you can do it just, I mean, you could self-medicate through medication or through drinking alcohol. But there are other ways that we do that that are basically forms of denial that we turn to so that we don't have to face that thing that God is saying, I'm putting this in front of you because I'm confident that you and I together can work through this. And there was a time when the pains and frustrations, I'm just like, I, I don't know how to deal with them as a, as a pastor. And I never, never turned to alcohol or anything, but I just, I just had to find some way to escape from it. And I remember God just kind of coming alongside and saying, you can try. You can even try to reframe it in your mind so that it goes away, but it's still there. You got to face it. You got to walk through it. And one day I just woke up and I just said, you know what? You're right. I'm just going to face the pain. I'm going to walk through it. And then you learn to get good at it. You don't like it, but you learn to get good at it because of one thing. In that fiery furnace, who, do we, who did we learn shows up? God. God shows up. But there's no place for God in his life except how God's could serve his needs. So I worry about ourselves as a church. If the pains and the frustrations of life find another go-to than the God that we pray to as we gather every Sunday. And if you need help with that, <clears throat> we're here. We try to be trustworthy and responsible with that. Not gossipy, just supportive. We all know. Here's the second question I have for you. And that's this. Um, who has God sent into my world to speak the truth to my situation? I mean, we know in this case that it was clearly Daniel and Daniel before. Daniel just spoke to the situation in a way that didn't want to be heard and received. But ultimately, when it was received, in the case of the ending of Daniel 4 with Nebuchadnezzar, 
it was good medicine. And God always works things together for good. And so God may be sending in somebody into your world to speak to something that you're dealing with. Ask him if that thing that he's hearing from that person, you're hearing from that person, is the thing you need to hear. That's all I'm asking. Now here's the third thing. And that's this. What do I need to look at in my life that I need to name, put on the table, and begin to process? The thing that Belshazzar didn't want to name was the fact that um, he was used to getting his way. And there was somebody speaking into his world that said, you're not going to get your way here. And he just wasn't having it. There's a whole lot of things, pride, indulging yourself, putting off the thing that was most important here, and that is, why don't you name the fact that your grandfather connected to the God most high and you chose not to do anything about that testimony. Let's just put that on the table because you made that choice. Name it. And I have a few notebooks that um, I write stuff down in because I'm trying to name stuff that I'm dealing with, the good, the bad, and the ugly, things that I don't want to own that I need to own, things that describe situations that I'm working through. And um, that's, that's how I counsel myself. Because what you see here is just the tip of the iceberg. I'll just show a picture of an iceberg because it's used a lot in therapeutic circles. And essentially, uh, this is what counselors of all stripe, a lot of them will use this metaphor and they'll say, you know what, what people see is just above the water level. But what's going on below is some behavioral stuff and then below that is the stuff that drives you, the stuff that you say, this is my big question. This is the most important thing to me. And then below that is the, I'm not going to say the coffee layer. It is, it is the most important layer. It's the layer that makes all the other layers work properly, the spiritual layer. It's the layer that says, when you get yourself in a space where you're relating to God in an attitude and posture of humility, Spirit of surrender and openness. Believe it or not, all that other stuff starts to kind of work out. And then there will be stuff that kind of pops up to the surface and God says, yeah, it's probably time to deal with that. Probably time to name that. Probably time to process that. Put that on the table. Let's work on that. Because it's affecting what, what's everybody, what everybody's seeing up here. And uh, we're redeeming that. And I honestly believe that some of the struggles that I've had in the church have been partly my own fault because I haven't dealt with some of that stuff when God says, Leonard, you need to deal with that. But it's partly been the fault of people that I've had encounters with over the years because God was telling them, you need to deal with that because that is toxic. And Nebuchadnezzar, can you imagine, or not Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar was not good for the kingdom. Somewhere between Nebuchadnezzar's mighty rule and Belshazzar's party spirit attitude towards leadership, the thing just completely unraveled and spun out of control. Two generations. And I would say it was because 
the bottom layer for him was, the spiritual level, replace spiritual with just me. I'm in control. But God didn't make us that way. He made it so that he's in control and he gives us control over our lives. But he also tells us that I've designed creation in a very good way. And if you live it according to my way, you'll be blessed. A lot of times people come to God because they're frightened from the alternative. And God's saying the alternative is where you end up at when you push me away. And that, my friends, is your dinner. I don't think I have to say anything more. But I'll just say one more thing, and that's this, because I've gone seven minutes over. Sorry. Uh, uh, the last question is, is this. Um, going back to our questions again. Is there one more question after that? Do I believe that God is able to help me to overcome if I'm honest with myself and my circumstances? I truly believe the Babylonian Empire would have came to an end had God not intervened with Nebuchadnezzar. Because Nebuchadnezzar, for the first time in his life, was totally honest about the stuff he needed at home. And God said, I'm going to make it good now. We're going to move forward in a good way. And that chapter ends well. And I would suggest that it didn't end bumpy or without bumps, but it ended well. And I think that is just a pattern of how God relates to you and I when we trust that he is able with any of this stuff, whether it's below the surface, above the surface, or stuff up there. God is more than able as the God most high. And I don't know what circumstance you're facing right now, but I guess I would imagine in any given Sunday, you come in here and you're weighed down by something. Something in your world is not where you'd like it to be. And if you're honest, you just have to say, God, help me to put that on the table and then help me to deal with it. In my case, the reason why I write in notebooks, that's, that's my way of going to a counselor. But I've been to counselors before and just said, I need to process what I'm going through. There's certainly no shame in that. And people in my profession, a lot of them do get counsel on a regular basis. But it's just a, a way of accessing that stuff inside of you that you need to deal with. And you can do it through notebooks. You can do it through counselors. You can do it right here as we meet God for communion. And you just have to say, God, help me to give language that thing I don't want to give language to. Help me to name that thing that I know I need to give it a name. And then help me to go through it and work with it and deal with it. Maybe the question on the table is simply this. God, I have never actually said, I desire you, Lord Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. And I surrender my life to you and to no other. Many of us have made that declaration of consent and we know the blessing of being a part of a family and a hope and a destiny 
It's not caught up in all of that unreality. And our aim here is to invite you into that place and then to walk with us so that we can do it together and do it for the rest of the world that God has broken his heart over. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the gift of new life through your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross so that everything that is messed up in our lives could be just brought to that place. And we know that you willingly receive it. And we thank you for that forgiveness that transforms us. And we thank you for that new place that we operate from as we live in your strength and your care, your kingdom. And I just pray, Father, for any of us who are dealing with things underneath the water level, that you give us the path that we need to go down to see what we need to see so that we can name it and that by your strength and by your ability, we can overcome it. Lord, I just pray that we would be that people when we arrive at your doorstep for all of eternity in your new creation, that we'd be prepared. But there would be so many others that we've been able to bring alongside because they've seen in us what you've been doing in us, and they've wanted that as well. So help us, Father, to be who we're called to be. Bless this message that it would create the desired effect that you have for it as we've gathered today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. do that because it's so important that we remember that each week and which you know this is signified by the cup and the loaf uh, the cup being his blood shed and the loaf being his body broken and so I'm glad that we do celebrate that each week in our church not every church does but I think that's a, a pivotal point for us uh, so at, at this time uh, I'm going to ask a blessing upon uh, these elements as you partake, uh, just remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for, for all of us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the message we've received today. And uh, Lord, we I ask that you would help us all to strengthen our faith in you and uh, receive your guidance and direction. And, and Lord, as uh, we partake today, I ask the blessings upon uh, this cup and this loaf uh, and that it would strengthen and nourish our faith and help us to do uh, as you would have us to do in your son's name amen
close with a song. If you've got to get going or got kids to get, feel free. Um, if you want, go ahead and stand and we'll praise God.
have a nice week.